Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be having on the renegade widow, Sarah Nannan. And the two of them will be discussing her latest book, Grief Unveiled, as it's a way of navigating life after loss. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we are here every Friday on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM KKNW from 9 to 10 AM Pacific, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. Um, and we also have a Facebook page for the show. If you ever want to um, follow that, then you're going to be able to see who will be coming up on the show on any given week. And that's Sunny in Seattle Radio on Facebook. Um, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, actually, Benny, I want to check in with you. I feel like I haven't oh, checked hey. in with you. I'm hey. doing very well. Thanks very much. Yes. As a matter of fact, you can see the latest fake, a uh, fake, because we see. I know we were watching fearless, the news. Our <laughs> leader doing some announcement, and so the fake <laughs> news thing is in my brain, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> let, yeah. me, let me start again. <laughs> the recent one you did for our guest today, and there I am. You can yes. see a little bit of piece of me. Oh, yay. And yes. so you know. Exactly. I know. I, it's rare that I get to get Vinny in the shot because normally I have to sneak into the auxiliary studio. You still after. make mention, and I appreciate that. Yes, yeah. You don't yeah. have to do that. But it, well, <laughs> and for those out there who are thinking, what is going on? I did a Facebook Live challenge. I challenged myself, and I did that for 30 days. I like and that. <laughs> I challenged myself. <laughs> you yeah. duel. <laughs> like a duel. I exactly. Well, I mean, nobody else <laughs> challenged me, so I might as well do it. Because um, I wanted to get more comfortable using video as a, um, a way of connecting with folks out there. Um, and so then I had so much fun with the 30 days that I decided to continue it. And I am doing a Facebook Live every day until the end of the year. And who knows? Maybe I'll keep going from there. So anyway, um, Benny made an appearance on that today. I did. And not in my costume, by oh, the way, because today funny. we are having our uh, holiday party for the uh, well, Halloween for us. Others, it's harvest year, harvest day, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, Hubbard Radio goes go all out for I mean, this is yeah. like when you come into the office on, and there was one day when I was in here on Halloween, and that was just bananas. But you guys go all out, yeah. And they moved ours up this week because uh, we've got a lot of other stuff happening next week. Our general manager is retiring, so we've got oh. some stuff kind of planned already for next week. So, it's going to be kind of too much for the station in the group. So, we decided right. to move it a little bit early, and it's a ramp up to the weekend, anyways, for everyone on their party. So, I don't have my full costume on as of yet because it would get in the way of all what my is it? magic. Or can you say? You can't I say yet. I will say. You, you don't have to. No, I will because okay. it's okay. It's okay. totally fine. So uh, it's a sports relation. So I'm Larry Culpepper. Okay. He was the Dr. Pepper mascot a few years ago <laughs> from the soup, from the Bulls. Okay. And so I have You're a Dr. put together. Uh, yeah. I love so Dr. you Pepper. guys. If you Google Larry Culpepper uh-huh. and his outfit, I've put that together. I love it. I have my little basket of drinks nice. right here behind me. Yeah, I'll show you. Oh, let's see. There it is. Oh my! You can't God. tell, <laughs> Benny. That's it's awesome. It's tough to see, but wait. Oh no, you're. I have the camera. There you go. Yeah. There we go. Oh my God. Sonny wants a Dr. Pepper. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. I love Dr. Pepper. Being from Texas, you kind of have to. But in um, addition to, uh, I did win last year. Oh yeah, I forgot. So I've got you did some win. big 
shoes and yeah. I have to try to repeat. You're always in the running. You're always in like the top three. You, in the last few years, I have been, and yeah. oh, I just want to do it again, but it's tough. Because <laughs> I came down to the wire this year. Yeah. Like earlier this week, I'm like, I finally got the idea. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I should have been a month into it. No, that's, that's usually how I am, how I build my stuff. So I was scrambling. Well, it looks like you've done pretty well Why, thank so you. far. Why, thank you. I'll, well, I'll post some photos. <laughs> okay, please do. Tag me in them so I can share uh, them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, a couple of other things. Um, don't forget that you can get a free copy of my book by going to unhitchedbook.com. Um, and, of course, the title of the book is Unhitched. And this book is for anybody who is feeling um, stuck, unhappy, unfulfilled in their marriage and really um, questioning what to do. Um, and the book will guide you all the way through uh, should I stay or should I go? Um, all the way through to tips for a graceful divorce, which, um, you know, I had a really graceful divorce and an awesome post-divorce friendship with my ex. It's not always appropriate or welcome or what you want, but for those who desire it, this will give you some tips for that as well. So that's unhitchedbook.com. Um, we also have the KKNW annual survey that's going on. Um, and don't forget, you will be entered to win, um, round trip passage on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria, B.C., plus a $100 gift card from uh, Schwartz Brothers Restaurants. And all you have to do is just complete the survey to be entered, and that's at 1150kknw.com. And we just we really um, ask you guys to participate because it helps um, the station management know what you like, what you don't like, and um, help keep the programming things that you guys want to be hearing and help us tailor what we're offering yeah, to you. it gives more fuel for the show hosts and what they expect from us and what you know they may not want to do next time for their show. So it's yeah. a good uh, overall picture in addition to, uh, oh, it takes about three minutes. Okay, well, that's Everyone's good. got three minutes while you're waiting in line, getting a coffee. Yes. I mean, it's that simple. Yes. So we appreciate it for everybody who has participated already. And yep. for those who haven't, you've got a little bit more time. What, till November? Uh, six. Six, I believe, okay. right? Yeah. Yep. On our uh, voting day. Ah, there you go. Right up to there. So you've got a lot to do, people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to fill out a survey for us and then vote. But if you have to make a choice, I would say just vote. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> Okay, and then finally, um, I have coming up next week um, an event that I'm doing in the Bay Area. Um, and if you can't be in the Bay Area, that's okay. We're live streaming it, and it's called the Wisdom Workshop. And um, I will be interviewing Sarah Landon and the council. And um, you may have heard her on the show before. She's one of my favorite spiritual, intuitive, spiritual channels practicing today. Um, and we were inspired by uh, Wayne Dyer's interview of Esther Hicks and Abraham co-creating at its best, um, if you caught that a few years back. And using that inspiration, we wanted to create something similar. And so I will be interviewing the council. Um, we're going to be at Unity uh, Spiritual Center in Walnut Creek, um, which is right near Oakland. Um, and so find out more and sign up for the live stream or sign up if you can be there in person. We'd love to see you there um, by going to Sarah Landon, S-A-R-A-L-A-N. D-O-N, sarahlandon.com, and just go to the Attend tab, and you can find out the event schedule there and get all registered. Okay, so plenty of housekeeping out of the way now. So let's welcome our awesome guest, um, Sarah Nannan, and she is, I've known actually Sarah for a little while now. Um, we published our books around the same time, um, and so I got to know her as we were in the writing process and the editing process, and um, was really impressed by her story and then had the chance to hang out with her in person 
um, not too long ago in New York and just thought, I've got to bring her on the show because the story just gets more compelling the more that I found out. So she became a military widow and solo mom of four kids in 2014 when an aviation accident claimed her husband's life. She found that traditional grief support offered tactics for coping and survival with a very limited view of possibility, um, which led her to seek non-traditional sources of healing and empowerment for her journey through grief. Uh, her experience inspired her to found Hope Personified, an organization that helps women frozen in loss break free and thrive in the next season of her life. Um, Sarah's also a keynote speaker, a life coach for widows, and a best-selling author of the book Grief Unveiled. Um, and um, she continues to help widows honor their stories of what has been while moving with clarity toward living a new life of their dreams. And she also has a podcast now. We'll have to congratulate her. It just launched Grief Unveiled, um, offering weekly conversations dedicated to real talk and real truth about grief and living. Um, so the book title, the podcast title, the website is Grief Unveiled, griefunveiled.com. Sarah Nanan, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Good morning. Thank you, Sunny. It's great to be here. Yay. Well, we're so happy to have you here. And I actually, I'm excited because I get to ask you more questions about your life that I have been interested in. <laughs> I didn't get to ask you in New York. Oh, I feel like this has been a conversation long time coming and I'm so excited to be here with you doing it. Yeah. Well, I feel the same way. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I learned about you in New York that I did not know before is that you are a naval veteran. And so I know you're a Yogini, a birth doula and a naval veteran. And it's kind of those, maybe this is my limited perception, but they don't seem to go together necessarily. <laughs> maybe the doula and the Yogini thing, but how did you go from military to where you are today? Well, I would say the average person would agree that it's a little weird that I was a naval veteran and now have become this more holistic um, lifestyle coach and woman helping women mm -hmm. transitioning from man's world to woman's world in my work. Yeah. Um, a lot of it had to do with becoming a mother, actually, and the process of going from a young girl who was really disconnected from myself and really, really connected with getting it right, being good, accomplishing all the things that you're supposed to accomplish in the world. And that's sort of how I ended up in the military, going on this grand adventure, stepping out of my life and into this new world of unlimited possibility. But transitioning from that really hyper-masculine way of being mm -hmm. to motherhood really woke me up to something in myself that I didn't know about. And once I experienced sisterhood, once I really experienced myself for the first time, having that first baby and then three more. <laughs> In short, about <laughs> short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, it really changed my whole perspective on what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be with other women. I mean, I had really identified as a tomboy my whole life. And so it like ripped wide open this whole new world that I had never really allowed myself to explore because I kind of grew up thinking that girls were high maintenance <laughs> and not, you know, this, the standard mean girls thing. Um, I didn't have any other model for it. So, yeah. Uh, so motherhood changed that for you in a lot. Motherhood changed yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you ended up having four kiddos in quick succession. So you had, they were all under the age of six um, when you were notified of your husband's passing. I mean, can you walk us through the story of, um, you know, where you were in your life and then that shift that happened when those Marine Corps officers showed up on your doorstep? 
Yeah, those those kids and I lived in this cute little military base in Japan. Mm. Um, I had, the youngest was six weeks old, and my husband at the time was um, he was overseas in the United States. It's kind of funny how we were <laughs> backwards from the normal deployment. Um, he had not met our new daughter, and we were about two weeks away from welcoming home. And mm. you know, I remember this day in March where I had gotten up the superhuman strength to get all four kids dressed and we walked to the park. <laughs> it, you know, it's like the little thing sometimes in motherhood uh, that you have to celebrate. So yeah, we had a normal, you know, day. And I, I remember that day of, of really s being so proud of myself and saying, okay, I've got this two more weeks as a solo mom. I can do this. I can't wait for him to come back home and for us to just be normal again. And that day while I was making lunch, a, a knock came on the door and there were a bunch of um, military officers in their fanciest uniforms, which is never a good sign. Right. Uh, it's it's really like the iconic scenes from the movies, you know, from World War Two, mm. Vietnam era, where like they're just standing there on the, your doorstep in the middle of your normal day. Mm. And the news was that my husband had crashed, um, which you know, said about this enormous chain of events that involved six days later getting on an airplane with four kids and 13 suitcases and moving back home uh, to figure out life. So that day was obviously a, a game changer in my world. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess really the the biggest thing that it it brought me home to was who do I become now? What do I become now? What happens next? And the possibilities seemed like to come crashing down around me. I thought my life was over. Yeah. And so at that point, you, I assume, started seeking support as one does about how do I do this? How do I grieve? How do I get, how do I even live? But it sounds like you didn't, you found some things, but there were some things that were lacking in the support that you found. Can you speak to that a little bit? I was so lucky, Sunny, to have so much support and people were throwing books at me and resources <laughs> at me. Like it was, I was really privileged in the sense that I had access to literally anything and everything thanks to my military family and my, you know, my, my actual family. And the thing that kept striking me was that all the book titles, all the support meetings, it was all around coping and surviving, which in the beginning was really important. That was really all I had access for. Um, but probably six months into the process, I started getting really frustrated because there wasn't anything that came after that. It kept being this repetitive conversation around stress management, coping techniques, how to survive the holidays. And I, and I kept wondering, is there an inspirational speaker room that I get to graduate into at some <laughs> point where we get to start talking about hope and possibility? It was just this ongoing conversation of how to survive this. Yes. And so it makes me think that there's an element, perhaps, that people feel like to remain loyal to the loved one they've lost, that they're not allowed to go past that, maybe? Or what, what do you think that is behind that? I think there's so many things, Sunny. One of them certainly is that sense of duty. People are, myself included, are really terrified of what does it mean about me if I actually am able to move forward in my life. We're terrified of forgetting. We're terrified of being judged or labeled as not loving that person enough. Um, there's so much shame and guilt and fear that comes with grief, which is so concerning and universal. Um, now that I'm coaching other widows, it's amazing how much energy we spend on this notion of getting grief right. 
yep. and outrunning that shame and guilt and fear of judgment. Yeah. And so what did you, at that point, you're, you really appreciated the support at the very beginning of the process, but then as you're wanting to, as you say, graduate to the inspirational speaker part, <laughs> what did you do when you couldn't find it? Well, I went looking and it started out by just hiring a life coach. Um, I met a woman while I was traveling in Colorado, um, which was one of the other things I did go traveling by myself to figure mm -hmm. out who am I. Um, and the only way I could figure out how to access that was by getting away from my normal life mm -hmm. where my thoughts and needs and responsibilities in the day were completely unfiltered and totally about me. So it was like my mini version of Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love expedition where I Instead of, you know, traveling the world, I went to Colorado for two weeks by myself and yeah. <laughs> um, found some interesting things about myself. Like I can experience joy in moments. I can experience adventure. I can experience and access this sense of aliveness even alongside my grief and started really just reading voraciously anything I could, not about grief, but more about learning who I am I, learning about accessing my own empowerment and my own, um, my own needs. A lot of it was just separating myself from that fear of judgment and the idea of shame associated with anything that I chose in my life. So it was, it was really sunny just about coming home to myself. Yeah. And then it also makes me think, okay, let's say there's someone out there listening going, but she had four kids under the age of six. How did you mm -hmm. give yourself permission to I leave them with the family or whatever you ended up doing with the kiddos to give yourself that much space? What's amazing is that's actually why I hired the life coach. I thought she was going to give me the secrets to the universe. <laughs> but what she actually did was coach me through what felt like enormous barriers to my own health and wellness at the time of who am I to get a babysitter? Who am I to go on this trip? Like there were so many limits and fears and shame associated with, shouldn't I just be satisfied with being here home with my family every day? And while that's a huge gift in my life, I knew that I had to create space for myself because as you can imagine, moving internationally with four kids, six and younger, right after your husband dies, there isn't a whole lot of space in there for you to even have needs because it's so much about survival mode and getting through the daily grind. Yeah. And I think what happens for a lot of us in, you know, after any massive transition, whether it's divorce or death, any kind of enormous life change, we're so doubled down on and hustling into this notion of like rebuilding and putting all the pieces back together as a as a method of survival, really, self-preservation even, um, that we forget to circle back around mm -hmm. to what's happening. You know, and we live in a culture that teaches us to stay busy when things get hard. They teach us to, you know, start working out if you feel emotions that might be labeled as negative. We're given all these tasks to do. And in the aftermath of a trauma or a tragedy or a loss, in your life, your your nervous system and your entire body is so exhausted just trying to survive it that unless we really do a lot of focused, intentional space making for the feeling part of it, we never get to it, which means we just compartmentalize and stuff it down and numb it out. And we spend the rest of our life essentially keeping it at bay so that we can be, quote, normal and functional in life. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I really um, was interested in in your book 
Um, and of course, I'm talking to Sarah Nannan, and the book is Grief Unveiled. Uh, was the actual physical effects, uh, because I think of things like, um, you know, a car accident or a uh, an assault of some sort really triggering that um, physical response in the body, those chemical reactions that, you know, fight, flight, freeze. Um, but I didn't really ever think about grief creating some of those reactions in the body. And do you mind speaking to that a little bit about what actually is happening in the body? Because this is real stuff we're talking about. It is, honey. This, uh, you know, we make it kind of cute in modern culture. We call it widow brain or, you know, we'll call it like new mommy brain fog. I'm sure you've heard somebody yeah. say that before. Yeah. Where you're like, you feel like you can't actually access your brain. Your eyeballs kind of forget how to read. So we make it into this like funny thing that will eventually go away in a way. And what's more important to notice is like, this is actually real. The, the body goes into this activated trauma state and what's happening is everything, everything in your system, your hormones, your circulatory system, like everything in your body is actually rewiring itself to keep you safe Mm -hmm. because our survival center originally was about keeping us alive protecting us from the wolves in the woods Mm -hmm. and um, teaching us how to be a part of a tribe so we could protect ourselves. In modern day, stress, arguments with your um, (laughs) mother-in-law, you know, grief, loss, anything that makes you feel afraid, our bodies are responding in the same way to that threat of life or death that we originally, you know, had created that center for. And unless you really understand that, like it feels real. You feel like your life is actually being threatened. Your existence is actually being threatened. Mm -hmm. So we call it grief, but below that in the, in the unconscious realm, like you actually feel like you're fighting for your life. And the more you do in the name of fighting and hustling and trying to get it right, the more you keep your body stuck in this cycle of I've got to stay with my stress hormone level this high to make it through the day. Yeah. And those stress hormones, man, when they don't come back down, that is that the degenerative effects on the body. When your cortisol doesn't come down, you are at a much Mm -hmm. higher risk of depression and all Mm -hmm. kinds of other disease. So yeah, I, the only thing I have to compare it to Sarah, and it just feels uh, ridiculous to even say this when you lost a, a husband with the three kiddo, I mean the four kiddos, but um, I lost um, both of my companion animals in 2017. Um, one of which was 20, and the other was 14. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my ex-husband passed this past summer. So I've had some losses in the past couple of years, um, and I. Years ago, if this had happened, I think I would have done a lot of numbing, like alcohol um, Mm -hmm. and distraction, just partying extra, or um, just uh, putting it out of my head. And I really carved out space when, I'll just use my cat, for example. She was on hospice for a while. And after she passed, I cleared my schedule for like the next week or more Mm. and just sat with it. And there were times I'd never understood grief as a physical response, but there were times when it felt like I, my, my inner being wanted to crawl out of my body. It was so uncomfortable and my chest just ached Mm. and it was, but the thing was when I sat with it and I allowed it to be, and I didn't. I, there were times when I thought I should be working. What about my clients? But 
I let myself just be with it and I didn't self-medicate and I cried when I needed to. I ached and just paced around the house when I needed to. And I will say that it passed. It passed. It wasn't this bottomless pit that never goes away, but it felt kind of like what you talk about in the book about it grief being, and maybe you can speak to that here, Sarah, but grief is not just going to fade. It's an intentional, active process. Is that correct? It is. And I want to just thank you actually for sharing that example from your own personal life and put at ease some of the people out there who are like, oh, I don't know if that's appropriate to compare. (laughs) You know, even you kind of apologize like, well, it's not the same as your husband dying. And and what I want to say is it actually is. Hmm. And the reason I really think it's important to talk about this first before we get to the really important point that you brought up is that the comparison of grief is actually not useful. And um, when we're willing to participate in this game of like whose grief is bigger or harder (laughs) or better, uh, it really misses the point of like what we're experiencing. And, And what you said is so true because I've also experienced this deep visceral grief um, over a pet, Mm -hmm. a dog. And, and even more recently, you know, in a professional sense, And what I noticed was, wow, this physically in my body feels exactly the same. Now, the impact on my life is obviously different at the loss of a pet versus the loss of a person. But I don't think it's actually important for us to compare. In fact, I'll say to many people, those of you going through a divorce, your grief is actually more the same than it is different from Mm -hmm. mine. Except that we live in a world that doesn't actually give you permission to grieve like I am. There you go. Yeah. And, and, um, gosh, I was it you or someone else who had said, you know, with a divorce, it actually can be a different kind of pain because someone Mm -hmm. is doing, typically someone is doing the leaving and someone is being left. And when your husband died, it wasn't like he didn't choose you anymore. You knew there was still the love there. Um, so it's a different kind. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm, I'm really, I just, I want to invite people not to minimize their experience. If you're grieving the loss or the change in a life, like let it be there. And that's what you said, be with it, inviting it to be. That's one of the most powerful things we can actually do when we're grieving. It doesn't matter who or what, but allowing it to be there. And I think that's part of the problem in our world is we're teaching people actually in, you know, conventional grief support, we're teaching them tools to actually numb it and push it away instead of be with it and move through it. And you were earlier inviting this conversation about being intentionally active Mm -hmm. with the grief experience. And that's so important and so true and exactly what I'm teaching people. What I had to learn too was my job isn't to survive this. My job isn't to numb this out, even though that would feel probably safer initially. Mm -hmm. What actually is is possible here is to move through this. And sometimes I like to paint the analogy of uh, childbirth, labor. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you mentioned, I was a birth doula and I've also given birth to four human beings. So (laughs) sometimes that's an easier thing for people to conceptualize than grief because we've made grief into this like big, scary, elusive monster that nobody knows how it works or when it's going to show up, but you got to be ready to brace yourself when it does. And we've kind of painted childbirth into a similar lens of like get to the hospital as quick as possible, get the epidural as quick as possible, get it over with as quick as possible because that's the only way you can survive it. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned again with this shift in perspective is 
when I learned to be soft and be still and be with the experience of labor, it was easier to move through, not pain less, but instead of suffering, it just felt like this really intense experience that came and went. Mm -hmm. And I was able to be supported and empowered in the midst of it. And that's what we're teaching people with grief the same way. Can you invite it in? Can you be with it? And the, like, the primary teaching that I offer is, can you notice what you notice about what you're feeling and not make it mean anything? Because that judgment and that shame and guilt and fear that comes with it is what muddies the waters of grief and makes it even more complicated to move through. Yeah, yeah. And it just, this reminds me of um, Jill Bolte-Taylor. Um, I, I don't know if you know her work, Sarah. Um, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, she wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight. Mm. Um yeah, she, she was in her late 30s, a uh, neuroscientist at Harvard and had a stroke that took her left brain offline, which means that her language center was not working um, for, mm. uh, it took her about eight years to really fully recover. And she's, she's back and better than ever. But while she was recovering, um, basically, she was just right brain only, which is pretty crazy if you think about it, because wow. she, yeah. And so what she found was that her emotions, the chemical reaction that happens in the body, the feeling that you have will pass within about 90 seconds if it mm-hmm. is unimpeded by a thought like this shouldn't yes. be happening. I should be over this. I can't do this in public, those kind of things. And so it's really, she said she could set her watch by it and 90 seconds, what that emotion does in the body will flush through just like a waterfall, just flushing right on through you. Um, so it sounds like you're helping women um, not get so attached to the thoughts so that the grief can just move. Definitely. And at the same time, uh, and and that's like such an important insight. I love that she, um, I heard her Ted talk. uh, um, I love that she offers this idea because a lot of us are going to be really angry about that. Right. Mm -hmm. I can imagine people hearing that information be like, that is so not true. I spent days and weeks like being completely pummeled by an emotion. What's more true is that you spent a day or weeks pummeled by an emotion that you held on to and created a story around. And it feels at first really, really gnarly to, to realize that we have so much responsibility when it comes to our experience in life. And at the same time, it's so empowering because it's something we can learn to do differently than we've ever done, which is why, you know, basically every human on the planet could really benefit from having a life coach (laughs) to help us. You know, I, I'm the first one to say that hiring my coaches has been a game changer. And as a life coach, I will never not have one because <laughs> they help me see so much of my own stuff that I don't like my stories that I don't even know are there. Exactly. And I feel I never would have thought that I would be someone that would say this, but I will always have a coach as well. Um, it's just been so transformative in my life and I would not be where I am without it. So not Amen. <laughs> plug for our business, but yeah, really... you mentioned something about language though, Sunny. And, um, I think that that's a really important piece of it as in labor and in grief, I had to reinvent my language. And that's one of the primary techniques that we can actually create awareness about our experience Uh um, in a new way and stepping outside of the stories that we were both talking about that come with whatever happens beyond the 90 seconds of feeling the emotion. And so the language of grief gets reinvented similar to, um, you know, in the medical world, we can see how people identify as their diagnosis, Mm -hmm. right? I, 
am a cancer survivor or I am a diabetic or fill in the blank. We take it on as a piece of us. And, you know, and it will say I'm a divorced woman or I'm Mm -hmm. a widow or fill in the blank. When we can shift our experience of self with a new language and say, you know, I'm a woman who happens to be a widow, it becomes part of your story instead of the whole story. Yes. And when you're experiencing an emotion, like we'll say sadness, instead of saying I am sad, which comes with sort of this like indefinite, it will be that way forever. Mm hmm. It changes simply to I'm aware that I'm sad right now because and when we can get more specific around it, it helps us see that in a lot of cases it has to do with the circumstances of our life as it is and not necessarily this big elusive grief thing that is overtaking us. So really like taking ownership of the grief experience and saying, this is normal. This is allowed. This is welcomed here. And I'm also going to use it as information about understanding myself, what feels hard, what feels impossible, um, and, and moving through it with it, almost like this dance that we're creating with grief mm-hmm. at the same time. Beautiful. Um, so on that note, why don't we take our break? Um, so I am speaking today with Sarah Nannan. She is the author of a book called Grief Unveiled, and you're listening to Sunny in Seattle. We'll be back in just a few. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends. My most frequent return guest to the show has been spiritual teacher Sarah Landon, who channels for The Council. There are few teachings that have been as transformational and inspiring for me as The Council's have been. And now Sarah and I have decided to team up and do a live event to bring you all even more goodness from The Council. Inspired by Co-Creating at Its Best, where Wayne Dyer interviewed Esther Hicks and Abraham, I will be interviewing Sarah Landon and the council in The Wisdom Workshop, scheduled for Saturday, November 3rd from 12 to 4 p.m. in the San Francisco Bay Area at Unity of Walnut Creek Spiritual Center. We'll be asking the big questions we are all seeking to have answered in our lives. Plus, you will have the opportunity to ask your very own questions live to the council during a special interactive audience Q&A portion of the event. And if you can't make it in person, we will be live streaming everything. For further details and registration, just visit sarahlandon.com. That's sarahlandon.com under the tab that says attend. Hope to see you there. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org slash American Airlines to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? 
you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I'm joined today by Sarah Nannan. Um, she is the author of a book called Grief Unveiled. And um, before the break, we talked some about your story and about um, you navigating that um, journey through grief and actively, intentionally going through the grief. And one of the things we were talking about over the break that I just wanted to lead back in with, because I think it's really interesting, is I was looking for <laughs> photos of Sarah so that I can create my little social media graphics. Um, and I saw, so Sarah now, um, it she's got like one side of her head is shaved and she's got like this super chill energy and um, really like beautiful style in her clothing. And um, I was looking online and I saw a picture of Sarah um, when she only had three kiddos and they were um, on the, the flight deck with the kiddos. And I looked at this picture and I was like, darn it, that does not even look like Sarah to me. And it reminded me of a passage in the book or a section of the book where in your work with clients and in your own experience, many times after a loss that catalyzes huge transformative changes, your outer world, your physical appearance, your home decor, all of those things no longer match who you have become. And what it, what was your experience with that, Sarah? I love that you're talking about this because I can, we were mentioning that we're both Martha Beck life coaches, right? Yes. And I remember when I was in, I was in Martha's training soon. I took it after my husband died. And I remember that moment where she was talking about when your hair feels wrong <laughs> and you feel like you're wearing someone else's clothes and your house doesn't make sense to you and you know you're getting somewhere. And I was like, that's what's happening right now because everything in my life after loss felt confusing to me. Yeah. And, you know, initially I think a lot of people blame that on grief because the experience is, hey, try as best as you can to like, go back to doing the things that you used to like. And people are like, I don't, I don't like doing those anymore. It must be the grief. Yeah. Maybe someday. Right. And we, we have this standard of like, get back to who you used to be because that's who you are. And what I have just watched happen layer on layer on layer on layer is peeling away this sort of fabrication of self that I didn't know was in me to reveal a bit more about who I was. So thank you for describing my, my current state of being <laughs> uh, so kindly. It's funny. I, I went, um, I went to target and I tried on this fake leather jacket uh -huh. <laughs> secretly, like a year after my husband died. Uh -huh. And I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. I would never in a million years be someone who would ever wear a biker jacket, but this thing just feels so 
me yeah. and I'm terrified and ashamed and this is confusing and I'm buying it. <laughs> and I started wearing this jacket that confused me, but everywhere I went, people were like, oh my gosh, that jacket's amazing on you. Uh-huh. And it was just like this first tiny little gesture of like, what if I did choose to look and dress and decorate my home and fill my life with things that like lit me up, even if it was confusing, even if it was not, you know, me by my old definition. And I, on the break, I said, you know, literally everything other than like my four kids are still here in my life. Everything in my life after loss looks different. My style, my home decor, you know, my, even my friendships and the way that I spend my time, it's all different. And I feel more like myself than I've ever felt before. And I didn't really know this about like this, this grief journey allowed me to access more of my truths than I was willing to ever name or claim before he died. That is so beautifully said. And, and it also begs the question, and I don't even know how to articulate this in a way that it feels offensive as I'm even formulating it, but you know, it, it, it took losing your husband, it seems to take you on this journey. But do you think that you would have gotten here without that horrific loss? I mean, just, yeah. This is totally a fair and safe question. I'm so glad you asked it because I love talking about things we're not supposed to talk yeah, about. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I should have known that. <laughs> I am the renegade widow, <laughs> so let's true. just go here. It's perfect. <laughs> Sunny, the cool thing is, um, I think I maybe would have, like when I was 75. I mean, I think I was on the path. The childbirth had woken me up. Becoming a mother had woken me up. I was already, you know, a, a doula, so I was in these more deep, intimate landscapes with other people in a way that I had never previously been. So I was on this path of waking up and seeing the world in a new way. But I I think this was like my fast track ticket. And it allowed mm. me to become like, in a way, a wiser version of my future crone self at the age, like in my 30s. Yeah. Um, and And I'm grateful for it. You know, it's a dangerous thing to say this has been a gift that came in a really traumatic, devastating packaging. Yeah. And yet because of the decision to move through it, to learn from it, to not be defined by it, what happened was I became a new version of myself. And I talk a lot about that life cycle of a butterfly Mm -hmm. and what happens in grief if we let it is that we really do find ourselves in the metamorphosis process. And I think that metamorphosis is really misunderstood, mm-hmm. misrepresented even. You know, people are like, oh, there's magic happening inside that chrysalis and someday it's a butterfly. But we skip over the fact that the caterpillar has to become completely undone, turn into goo, and then be reformed, which requires an incredible amount of stillness and, and nurture and the right amount of time for the process to take place and then a struggle for the formed butterfly to get out of there too. Yeah. And that that made such perfect sense to me because in the depths of my grief, I felt like that completely gooped up caterpillar with no form, totally in the dark, no vision of my future. Possibility seemed completely out of the question. Mm-hmm. I was ready to just suffer this scrape together second best kind of life indefinitely. Mm. And I'm really grateful that this little shred of hope in my pocket was enough for me to say, hey, but what if... What if healing is actually possible 
And I guess I was just relying on the belief that the human spirit is really resilient. And over the course of human history, we've experienced so much catastrophe, so much trauma, so much devastation. And, you know, earlier in, in history, it, the men would go off and do the warrior thing and the women would be the ones left behind. Like how many women have been widowed over the course of humankind? Right, right. And I thought if this thing, this grief thing was actually meant to like destroy you and devour you and swallow you whole and leave you incapacitated for the rest of your life, I'm not sure I believe actually that the human race would have been able to survive. So there's got to be something more than just scraping together this like functional, like I'm showing up to work and feeding my kids and that's pretty much all I've got. That is such an interesting perspective, Sarah. It seems it's actually um, makes so much sense. And then it also leads me to ask, because this is a very spiritually minded station, um, what do you think about soul contracts like that you and your um, your husband who passed um, knew that this would potentially happen, that this was part of soul growth that you both signed up for? Or do you have any thoughts on that? Of course I do. <laughs> I've had a lot of time to think about these things. Uh-huh. You know, we, my husband and I were, we were together 14 years and we experienced a tremendous amount of growth together. And, you know, there's a lot of silver linings that come after someone dies that sound like at least, at least you're young, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, you had love at least. And for me, in a way that felt really true because what I knew about that incredible man that I was married to is Everything he wanted in life, he had actualized. Hmm. You know, he was living his dream job, married to his dream girl. Hmm. Hello. And had (laughs) like four amazing, healthy, fascinating, brilliant children. Like we were living his dream. Yeah. And while I would never, ever, ever have asked for it to happen this way, his life in a way was complete. There was nothing that he longed for. And so I feel a lot of joy knowing that every minute of his life was deeply supported and that he had actualized to his fullest self. Like he was his best self in his best life up until the minute that he passed. And while you're not supposed to say this, so I'm just going to say it on, you know, the airways for all the people to hear, like, there was this sense after a long period of time and a lot of personal growth and work where I could say, wow, this devastating tragedy that really marked my young adult life was also, in a way, the beginning of my life. Wow. And this is why you are the renegade widow. Oh, okay. Um, So I want to switch gears a little bit because I'm looking at our time and I want to make sure that there were a couple of other things that I wanted to cover. Um, So flipping the roles a little bit, um, you know, a lot of what I have learned about how to be with someone in grief is from Sheryl Sandberg. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I have learned from her and practiced some of what she has talked about. Um, And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, Sarah, especially as a renegade widow and handling grief and navigating loss a little bit differently than perhaps most, how do you recommend that we be with a person in grief? 
I love that you asked this question. Okay, the first thing that really has to happen is we've got to get honest with ourselves about our role in being with that person in the first place. Because when grief strikes, when tragedy strikes, our response first is almost always, how do I save this person or how do I fix it? Right. Even if it's like your kid falling off the slide at the park, immediately it's like, how do I save this moment? Mm-hmm. And the more useful, loving, compassionate, supportive way to approach it is how can I be with this person? How can I love this person in an action? What we need actually is for people who are really interested in understanding our experience and our perspective to show up, ask us about it and listen and nothing more. Hmm. What's it like to be you right now? How can I support you right now? What would be useful just some basic questions that are so much more helpful than I'm so sorry for your loss, right? Because that creates disconnect. And the other is, what's it like to be you right now? I, I can't imagine, but I, I'd really love to hear about it if you're open to sharing. Yeah. It creates connection and it creates vulnerability and a sense of safety to actually be experiencing the life that you are, because so many people said things like, you're so strong and you're so inspiring, which I know was meant as a loving compliment and like a vote of confidence, but it didn't match what I was feeling on the inside. Hmm. And I felt like I had to keep up the hustle because I didn't want people to see anything other than strong and inspiring. If that was what they were, you know, celebrating me for, that was the goal. And so asking people like, what is your experience and how can I be useful right now? And then actually continuing to do that because we get support in the first days or the first weeks even, and it quickly, quickly dials back. And I think that comes from this idea that now that the funeral's done or now that the bigness is done, Mm -hmm. um, our job is to be really respectful of your experience and your job is to keep it very private. Yeah, and I I will just add on that um, that I have a, a dear friend here who recently um, lost a child, a very young child, mm-hmm. and I watched her process with so much admiration because I think just I'll say this as a blanket statement it, with you as being an exception and people who are doing amazing work like you are, but I think as a culture we suck at grief, like we don't train people how to be with it and how to process. Concur. It. Okay, <laughs> so given that, there were a lot of people in her life who were either didn't contact her at all because I think they just didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. They were scared. Yep. They. Um, or the, the emotions are scary and we don't even know how to process our own, much less be with someone who is in deep grief. And I will say this friend of mine did her grief like it was just so beautiful. And she sent out an email and she said, for those of you who don't know how to be with someone in grief, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sit with me when I'm crying. You don't have to look away. You don't have to run away. If you can handle it, be with me. I need, um, I actually need food right now. <laughs> like she, she gave yep. a list of like what she wanted and I thought, well, it's it kind of sucks that she had to do that. Not that she had to, but I think she it felt good to her to be able to state her needs. But um, because some people weren't really showing up in ways that were being very supportive. But I just love that she did that. And, and then it, it just, um, gosh, it just was beautiful to watch and then also know how to show up in a way that was perhaps different than what we culturally think we're supposed to do. That's so perfect. I love that she did that. And I think it's a really beautiful thing for anyone who's in a transition to name it for their people and, and also let only the people who are showing up, 
like actually showing up, let them be enough. Because I think sometimes our excruciating pain comes from all the people who aren't showing up. Yeah. And the really beautiful thing in a way about grief is that you see very quickly who your people are. Yeah. And, and you really, you know, you, you go toward them with gratitude and this idea of this vulnerable ask, here's what I'm experiencing and here's what I need. Because a lot of times I think we're trying desperately to give stuff to people that we want to give instead of thinking for one moment, like, what do they actually maybe actually need from me? Exactly. And that's the one thing I'm taking away from this is to approach it with curiosity rather than, Mm -hmm. um, uh, platitudes or blanket statements or things like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we've got just about two minutes left, Sarah. And I wanted to, is, is that enough time for us to just briefly address holidays? Cause I know the holidays are coming up and people who let's do it. Someone. Okay. So <laughs> two minutes, holiday grief, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, holidays are stressful for everyone, Sunny. Yeah. period. Yep. Um, and I think we've all got varying degrees of drama and complication and perhaps even loss in our lives. And what can we do to make the holidays easier? Everyone literally doesn't matter who you are. The first thing you can do is make some space in your holidays for stillness Hmm. because we spend so much time and energy hustling around, trying to make everybody happy, going to all the things, doing all the things, giving all the things. And at the end of it, we're like, well, that kind of (laughs) sucked. Right. And you know, so what happens instead if it's like the things that I say yes to this holidays are really intentional and they're only the things that when I think of doing them or giving them or being there, it lights me up on the inside in such a way that I can't not commit to a yes and letting go of everything else. And that's a really important practice in grief because again, people feel this pressure of like, well, if I don't go, then everyone will know I'm grieving. It's like, great, that's, they should know so that, you know, they can be with you in it and, you know, not making that mean anything, noticing what you notice about what you want and don't want this holiday season and letting it be okay. Letting that be the most real, most important thing and letting go of the should in the conversation around what you want and don't want to be doing. Absolutely. And that is advice. I mean, even if you're not in loss, my goodness, you can take that advice and use it very well. We all need a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. So we are at the end of our hour. Um, Sarah Nannan, it has been such a joy to speak with you today, and I so appreciate you being my guest. Thank you, Sunny. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. Um, so the book is Grief Unveiled. The website is griefunveiled.com. And um, Sarah works with folks who are navigating loss. So um, reach out to her if what we talked about today resonated and you need a little bit of support. Um, You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. Go enjoy your weekend.